Well, I'm starting to forget what outside is like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hello and welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. What up? Watch rom-coms and then immediately talk about our feelings about those rom-coms and record it for your listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing in your neck of the woods, all quarantined up? Doing well. Uh, just enjoying... Uh... <laughs> Join some sunshine finally. Um, yeah, it is a it is a sad day for our podcast though. I I officially need to go grocery shopping because I am out of wine. Oh, well, sir. So I'm drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are recording on Sunday morning, the day before this will come out at. Uh, 949, 950, excuse me, now central time in the morning. Yeah, so this is you know, this is unusual. I'm not even awake yet. It's Sunday morning, I should be in bed. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, for me, I do have tequila. Are you drinking it? Nice. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, but uh, I have not been drinking yet, so this is gonna be my first glass. But uh, you know what they say, you know. I want to join. You know what they say about quarantine? Quarantine? Okay, let's get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do have I have rum, but it's white rum. <laughs> I need a mixer for it. And then I have... Oh, you're out of orange juice? Yeah, I powered through it oh, really dang. fast. I made a lot of tropical drinks yesterday. It was fantastic. <laughs> do you I, put umbrellas in it? And I did. No, I totally did. I put it in. Just so naughty. It's so naughty. I put it in like a. I have a. Uh, what are those? I guess like a tiki mug. Like yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I have a tiki mug, so I put it, I put it in there. What is was it? One of those that you stole from Three Dots and a Dash. I have no comment on the matter. <laughs> I mean, there was never, ever any sort of thing that happened at that establishment. I, I that never would... partake in in, uh, in illegal events like that. No, mm -hmm. I, I would never. I know. There, like, you would never steal multiple glasses from Taylor's at a college establishment <laughs> that we went to. I forgot about that. You literally uh, had, like, a hitting streak. It was, it was, it was just, like... It was that's beautiful. Nine, that's nine straight times you've gone to Taylor's that you've stolen a glass. Way to go, Max. Yep. Yeah. I think it's, I made it up to... Before anyone gets their panties in a bunch, they were basically a predatory college bar. And they're they closed now. Got, they just recently got closed down, finally got their liquor license taken away because they had too many underage people drinking there. So, yeah. you know, but it is a University of Oregon staple, RIP Taylor's. Yeah. Rest in peace. Still have those glasses, they, though. Yeah, they had dollar beer nights on Wednesdays. They had dollar well nights on Tuesdays. Went to 27 of those in a row. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. During my yeah. last year in Eugene, and that was no, seen was it senior year? That was the senior year. Yeah. yeah. God, that was my liver is aged like a decade in that <laughs> month. <laughs> <laughs> like Bob Seeger says, your liver's like a rock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just like well, a heavy truck, my liver. <laughs> like a rock. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, today we're going to discuss the movie we watched this week Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. It's- it's going to be our two-parter. We're going to have two episodes this week because it's quarantine and we ain't got shit to do. So might as well. Yeah, might as um, well. Yeah, so we're doing this one and then we're doing the other Hanks and Meg Ryan uh, movie. Uh, You've Got Mail. That'll come out on Thursday uh, for you guys. We have not watched that yet, so we'll be recording that later. But uh, yeah, Sleepless in Seattle, Hanks and Meg Ryan. You chose this movie. What made you choose it? Um, I'd only ever seen it once and I don't remember it at all. All I remember is the Empire State Building scene, which now that I've rewatched it was a lot less of a, um, a predominant scene than I remembered it being. Mm. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it's a classic rom-com and I thought it was kind of detrimental to our podcast for me to not know it or have seen it recently. So, um, yeah, that's how I feel about a lot of '90s rom coms. Yeah, it's just like this is a well-known rom com. Like I know this title, but like I have not seen it. Like as an adult, as someone who could like formulate an opinion on it. Like if I have seen it, it was when I was a kid because my mom or my sisters wanted to watch it. Right, and, like, and you don't appreciate it at that point. Like exactly, or you don't You're appreciate the. For the same things, I guess. Yeah, like my six, seven, eight year old self was just thinking, stop with this fucking Hollywood slash blockbuster <laughs> video rental that you just made and let me play Super Nintendo. That <laughs> was always the thought when I was a kid. Because you always had one TV in the Super Nintendo. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I felt that way about when Harry met Sally, too, where it was like that one I'd seen a few more times. But even then, I hadn't seen it recently enough that I could appreciate it in a more, um, I guess, adult way. Um, you know, I I love the like 2000s rom-coms because they're simple and nostalgic and, and stuff. And but then I go back and watch these kinds of rom-coms and they're just a completely different breed with a completely different reason for appreciating them um yeah i may not personally connect to them nearly as much but they're they're solid yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that i personally this is the first time i've seen the movie oh really I know of it. yeah i know of it i know you know the parts you know the like i know but like I hadn't actually seen everything. Um, and yeah, the only thing I, I really knew was uh, from the the TV show, The Mindy Project. I remember at the end of the second season, they used the Empire State Building and Sleepless in Seattle as kind of like the, the theme of her getting together with. Uh, oh, OK. She ended up having a kid with and ended up with at the very end of the series. But gotcha. 
Um, I mean, it is an iconic scene, so it's it's a good good thing we watched it. Yeah, but that's what I was saying. Is like for an iconic scene, for how, as much as it's touted to be, it was a lot less iconic than I thought it would be. I guess I had my hopes built up. Not like, not like the scene itself was bad. It just it was. I thought it was like this huge grand climax kind of thing where the Empire State Building is like the last thirty minutes of the movie sort of thing. Whereas it was just, it felt a little smaller and underwhelming than I remembered or than I thought. Yeah. So. Well, we'll, we'll discuss that soon yeah. here shortly. But, uh, Sleepless in Seattle is a 1993 American romantic comedy film directed and co-written by Nora Ephron and based on a story by Jeff Arch. It stars Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Uh, and it was released on June 25th, 1993. And uh, as I mentioned, directed by Nora Ephron, um, it starred Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, Bill Pullman, Ross Malinger, who's the, the son, uh, Gabby Hoffman, who I believe plays his friend, the son's friend, mm-hmm. um, and then Rob Reiner. Uh, and then how long is the running time for the movie? Mm, hour 52 not too bad uh it's 105 minutes so an hour 45 okay yep and then the budget for the film was 21 million which i think was mostly because of the fact that they filmed in four different cities (laughs) oh yeah 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 well yeah for the most part or at least there's sound stages and things like that but 21 million in 93 is a significant chunk of change. Yeah, especially for a 93 movie. But at the same time, movies were a big form of, you know, entertainment. So they could afford to spend that kind of money on movies. That's you true. They weren't really competing with much at that time. Um, and how much did it make in the box office internationally? Um... Well, like overall, like domestic and international. 140. 227.9. Holy hell. Yes. Damn. Yeah. 126 million of that was between the United States and Canada, and then another 101 million came internationally. So it was pretty well regarded from fans. With, like inside of North America and out. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand that, but that's yeah. still it's still really impressive. Damn. Yeah, that's a shit ton of money. Yeah. <laughs> and then as far as uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 74%. Hmm, okay. Cool. And I believe that means certified fresh. Certified fresh. Mm, I could go for some fresh produce right now. (laughs) (laughs) Get your grocery list out of your head. (laughs) Wine first. Exactly. All right. Uh, Do you have any tasty tidbits? I do. I do this time. I do. Actually, a good good chunk, I think. So, um, all right. So let's start with something simple. Who was originally cast for the female lead? 
I'll give you a hint. She's been in a lot of rom-coms, including a couple we've watched. Oh, Julie Roberts. Yup. Yeah. I remember uh, after the movie there, because uh, I watched it through Showtime on Amazon Prime. Uh, and then Amazon has the trivia section. Oh, and yeah, they, yeah. And they mentioned like five different actresses that were thought of before Meg Ryan. Yeah, so the, there were a bunch of others con- considered as well, including Kim Bessinger, mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer, Jennifer Jason Lee, mm-hmm. Lay Lee, and Jodie Foster. Yeah. And Kim Basinger declined it because she thought the premise was ridiculous. Too yeah. 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 Which is funny. And we'll get into that. Tom Hanks originally turned it down as well. But his uh, reasoning was that he, he didn't think he was right for it. Um, but this actually led Nora Ephron to rewrite the script. Wow. Yeah. So, hmm. speaking of Tom Hanks, he was working on another movie. This this just this will blow your fucking mind. He was working on another movie at the same time. What was it? This this is how fucking old we are because this does not feel that long ago. Toy Story. It was fucking Toy Story. He was fucking doing the voice parts for Toy Story on his off days while filming Sleepless in Seattle. Like, are you fucking kidding me? It's Let's that old? It. Well, they, no, no. It takes that long for fucking animation because it came out in 95. Well, that he, too, but... He was voicing parts in 92. I still didn't think it was 95 that... Toy Story, the first Toy Story came out. Well, think about computers back in 95. Like, we were, we were only seven. Yeah. So, like they, like, they didn't really have computers at my elementary school. We were still using, like... And the fact that they were able to make a fucking animated movie like that. Yeah, that's why it took so fucking long. Well, I'm not marveling at the how long it took. I'm but marveling at how long ago that came out. Yeah. Like 95? Fuck. <laughs> I thought, I thought uh, it was like late 90s at the earliest. <laughs> yeah. So Toy Story looks like box office made 373.6 million. So his two movies Jesus. that he worked on at this time made over half a billion dollars. Jesus. In fact, they made. They made ex- almost exactly six hundred million dollars internationally. Of course, every time there was a scene, um, I mean, I'm jumping ahead here, but there is a scene uh, where he's—I can't even remember what it was now. Um, so, all cards on the table. Renee and I watched this movie last night, or Renee watched it yesterday. What morning? In the, in the, in the afternoon. And assuming that I would pick up the pace and be able to record. In the same day but i was lazy so i watched it late last night and now i'm like struggling to remember certain things but there was a scene where tom hanks is adamantly like not yelling but he's he's upset about something he's raising his voice and i can't remember what the hell it was but it's a serious moment and he's he's yelling about something and i'm laughing the whole time through it because all i'm picturing is the scene from 
a league of their own. <laughs> when, when he's yelling, say, Evelyn, you have a moment? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. <laughs> like, I fucking love, love Tom Hanks, but every time he tries to get a little serious, I'm just sitting there going, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't. For me, I look at it like what he would end up being in Toy Story with some of the parts where he's mad in this movie where he's just like, you're a toy. (laughs) Almost like he's yelling at his son, like, you're a boy. What are you doing? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Okay, so moving on with the tidbits. Uh, Nora Ephron was, of course, uh, had a little miniature cameo in the show or in the movie. She was a caller into the radio show when uh, Meg Ryan's character, Annie, is listening to it in her car. Ah. Um, and they're, I think it's in the car. Either way, it's when they're reeling off like the best of oh, the, the best show. Of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they start going through multiple callers. She's the caller that's disappointed in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> Which was about sex. Yeah. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. Um, this one I thought was pretty tasty. Okay, did you did you ever watch Seinfeld? I don't remember. Uh, I was not a huge fan, but I know of it. Okay, do you did you ever hear of or see the episode about the soup Nazi? I have heard of it. Yeah, I okay. know it well. Okay, so apparently there's a crossover because that episode came out like less than a year after this movie and in the movie they're pitching story ideas in Annie's office in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And one of the writers suggests um, doing the meanest man in America, but also has the best soup. Oh yeah. And they're literally, they're talking about there actually was a real fucking guy in New York. So and it's the same guy that Seinfeld is is doing it on. Um, so I did some digging around. Apparently, this guy, his name was, uh, I'm gonna butcher the hell out of it, but it's Ali Yagana, okay. Yagane. I don't know. A l i y e g a n e h. He was located in Midtown Manhattan. He ran a place called Soup Kitten Soup Kitchen International. And ah, that's such a great fucking name. Right? And yeah, he he like, legitimately like he would if you did not follow protocol to get in line and get your soup, he would scream at you and curse at you and tell you to get out. <laughs> like this is real shit. Like welcome to fucking New York. Jesus. Yeah. Um I, I love what they're in there and he's like in Seinfeld and they're just like, just keep your head down. Just keep your head down. <laughs> so Seinfeld apparently hadn't even met the guy when he filmed the episode. And they, it was like one of the writers for Seinfeld. It, one of the writers from Seinfeld had actually met the guy or like went into the store and like de- dealt with the guy and had this experience. So he brought Jerry in like a year after the episode aired because Jerry wanted to meet him, and the guy was not fucking happy about it. 
<laughs> and apparently he actually did scream at Jerry and tell him to get out without any soup. So Jerry went back later that night with his girlfriend at the time, sent her in to get the soup. So like this <laughs> actually <laughs> legitimately <laughs> fucking happened. Like <laughs> <laughs> That is such a fucking Jerry move from the show. Right? And he did it in real life. Yes. I love it. Like I love that there's some accuracy to it. Like that show, I personally wasn't a huge fan. And, but at the same time, I get why it had so much success and so many people liked it. And it's yeah. just, cause they were, they were just telling the truth. Mm-hmm. They were telling their truth. It's just that their truth is extremely New York centric. I am not a New Yorker. So right, right. I, like, so like a soup Nazi is just like, if you have to be in the right frame of mind to get why that's funny. Well, neither of us really grew up in cities either. That's the other thing. Exactly. So like, you know, being a five-year-old in Oregon, like why, why is that guy being so mean? <laughs> yeah. And I was a 32-year-old here in Chicago. Like, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Like, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Get the fuck out of the way. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and apparently he did actually, he closed in 2004, but he developed the original Soupman brand, which actually includes franchises throughout the U.S. and packaged <laughs> soups. So, good. when I'm I go sure grocery shopping, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the shelf that's yelling at me. <laughs> I'm sure those soups are not nearly as good. Probably not. Um, okay, so the scene, there's a scene where uh, that's wrapped up with Tom Hanks walking out of a door and Meg Ryan, the next scene starts with Meg Ryan walking out of a door in their respective cities. And I wish I could mm-hmm. remember what the scene was about, but I know Tom Hanks is talking to his kid Meg Ryan, I think, is talking to her fiance when they're about to go to Christmas Eve. With the is family. it okay? I want to say yes. That sounds right. I think I know. I think I know what you're talking about. They're yeah, they're both walking out of front doors onto the street. Um, yeah, and that the that actual that door is literally the same physical door. Huh. And. That wouldn't be too impressive if they were filming this like a normal movie where it's mostly in L.A., it's mostly on a a set. But they actually, like as you mentioned, this was filmed in four different cities, including a lot of filming in Seattle and Baltimore. So those two scenes were in Baltimore and Seattle. They literally had to ship this door 3,000 miles just to get some continuity between the characters. That was the whole point. Was just they they had a shit ton of that's all I kept reading was that they had a shit ton of attention to detail throughout this movie like so and many things still, that went unnoticed and there's still a bunch of continuity errors in the movie but still well yeah of course <laughs> but like that's what happens when you try to tell two stories three thousand miles apart yeah exactly um so I I just thought that was that's like that's a lot of fucking effort so there's your there's your 26 million dollar budget right there <laughs> shipping hey, a fucking 21 door yeah. 21 yeah. million um and then when they were filming in seattle seattle was actually experiencing a 
I'm I'm air quoting right now, a drought. Because we all know what Pacific Northwesterners call droughts. Like it doesn't rain in like a month during the summer, you know, when it's not supposed to rain and people start freaking out like, oh my God, we need the rain. We need some water. Everything's going to start dying. No, that's, this is how weather works, guys. Yeah. Relax. It's going to be fine. But apparently Seattle was experiencing a drought, supposedly, and they had to use water trucks to create all the rain. Now, this is, this is another thing that Pacific, I laughed when I read this. Apparently, they used so much water. I mean, so much water is relative, but they used enough that Seattle residents became enraged about the waste of water. And they started having write-ins to TriStar, which is the producer. Yeah. And petitions against filming anymore in Seattle. (sighs) (laughs) Exactly. Right there. That's like, I love the Pacific Northwest, but there's some things I don't miss. And that is one of them. Yes. Like I get, I, I, I am the first one of the, one of the first people, I'm not the first, one of the first people to immediately say something about, Um, environmental safety and protecting the environment and climate change and all of that. And, you know, the waste of resources, especially water is a big deal. But like, really that also Seattle has a great wastewater reclamation system. So that means the water that goes into the street sewers gets either filtered before it gets dumped into any estuary or it gets recycled. It goes straight to a treatment plant and gets reused as tap water. So the fuck you bitching about? Like it's <laughs> And on top of all of that, I like the one scene I'm thinking of that had rain is like when he gets all those letters from the people who heard Sleepless in Seattle on the radio. Like there's a heavy rainstorm then, which is at his house. Which is on the fucking sound. <laughs> like there's a yeah. water everywhere. <laughs> like you did this. Yeah. Like you're yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> like you guys are yeah. good. Like you got plenty of water. All right. This is not like it's not like they were filming in LA now. Yeah. You know, yeah. where they're they're literally running out of water. And LA residents are like, really? We are like we're being stringent with our water consumption and you're just fucking wasting it. For a movie like that would make a little more sense pacific northwest come on calm your ass so anyway that that just made me i thought you would enjoy that because of the pacific northwest connection yeah because of our roots um so tristar the producer i mentioned uh they got 25 to 30 calls a day for clarification on one word that was mentioned in the movie what was it? Sleepless? Nope. Tiramisu. Huh. <laughs> People wanted to know what tiramisu was because everyone assumed it was a sexual position or something. <laughs> because Rob Reiner in that scene where so Rob Reiner and Tom yeah, Hanks were talking. Dating now and, and tiramisu. What's tiramisu? Yeah. You'll find out. You'll, you'll find out. You'll love it. Yeah, everyone assumed that it was 
some relation to sex. Nope, it's just uh, like it's basically if ice cream cake got cold feet and didn't commit all the way. That's tiramisu. <laughs> got a little soggy. Yeah. I mean, I love tiramisu, but I mean, I guess you could use it sexually. You could like smear it on each other. That'd be weird. I. Okay. Moving I don't on. like weird conversations. Yeah, moving on. Um, <laughs> so it was not of all the places that it was filmed at. It was not filmed at the Empire State Building. That was obvious. That was obvious. Uh, it was filmed at a set in a hangar, an airplane hangar. Um, yeah. The this this. <laughs> This will, this will show you what a fucking nerd I am. So the reason I noticed that it wasn't the real Empire State Building, <laughs> yeah, was because I'm looking at it from an architectural perspective, and I noticed that. So, it, this is hard to explain over air, but I'm still going to go with it. So the okay. the floor of the the observation deck is made of like concrete pavers, like two foot by two foot concrete pavers. And they're very obvious. They they captured that well. I was proud of them for that. But then, like, the outer wall of it is, like, cinder blocks. And the cinder blocks go down to the concrete pavers and stop. You can tell. In reality, they would go past the pavers because the pavers would be lifted up and raised up. And that's that's literally, like, that little fucking detail is, like, that's the one that tipped me off. Nothing about how obvious the rest of the scene is that <laughs> it's not the Empire State Building, I noticed that there was a seam missing between the pavers and the cinder block. And I was like, yep, this isn't real. This is a set. There's no way that it could be architecturally stable. You know how I knew? Because you could tell. Because how the fuck are you going to get sound on the actual observation deck of the Empire State Building? Oh, that's a good point. It is always going to be windy as fuck. Yeah, that's a really good point. And like, well, I'm sure they have equipment to like dampen that, right? Yeah, you'd have to clear out the observation deck for hours upon hours to film there and fill it up with extras that you'd have to hire so that he can have his whole you Annie thing. And then on top of that, you have to somehow make sure the sound's good the entire time when you got wind rustling through the whole fucking deck because you're so high up in the air. That's true. Yeah. Or you can do it on a set. So there was oh, yeah. a there was a box of chocolates in a candy shop near Annie's house. She walks out of her house, walks past the candy shop. Um, there's this big box oh, of chocolates. Like the lollipop. <laughs> I took you to the candy shop. <laughs> go ahead, girl. Don't you stop. <laughs> All right, good. Um, and the, the box of chocolates features silhouettes of actually tom hanks and meg ryan huh like they actually you know took photos of them not photoshop but but at that point but also that box of chocolates is the same box of chocolates that tom hanks used in forrest gump no it's not yes it is is it really yep you're you're being serious no i'm lying (laughs) yeah See, I'm getting better at not getting my hopes up or with your, <laughs> your grandiose claims. God, I had to lie twice to you on that one. Yeah, see? So, why do you make me lie to you like that? Motherfucker. 
And um, Rita Wilson, who plays Sam's sister in the movie. What is yeah. she in real life? Tom Hanks's wife. Yeah. I just thought that was fucking I, hilarious. <laughs> is, is she Sam's sister or is she his like sister-in-law who... Yeah, they never really clarified that in the movie, but in I like to think sister in law because that would that would give me the heebie-jeebie that they were playing brother sister. They in everything I read, all the in all the casting too, she was the sister. That would make more sense though, because she was the only one who showed up when he sees Meg Ryan on the road. Right, which I thought was extra ironic when I read this tidbit because I was like, Meg Ryan assumes that she is a threat, like a girlfriend yeah. or something. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's funny because in real life, it's his wife. It's his wife, yeah. Pop quiz: Is that Tom Hanks' first wife? Really? No, it is his second wife. Yeah. He was briefly married to. Well, briefly, he was married for like seven years to uh, Samantha. Oh, that's right. Not briefly. Lewis. Never mind. Yeah. Um, and lastly, uh, there was kind of a conscious decision for Seattle. Um, Nora Ephron was talking about in an interview about the movie that she felt that young Americans had become more obsessed with their careers than their personal lives. And which is, uh, it's sad that back then that was the case. And now it is still very much the case. Um, so she, when she visited Seattle, she, she loved the sense of community that she felt from a city. And that, you know, it wasn't full of workaholics and that, you know, really, she should have gone to Portland if you want to pick up that vibe. <laughs> Jesus. Well, you know, we're, we're talking about a community of not workaholics, not transients. <laughs> There's a difference between not working your life away and not working at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she said that... Uh, she felt it was a city where people have chosen lifestyle over work, which mm, that's I, very true. I, sure. I get like, yeah, I, I actually, I really like Seattle for that reason. If I were to go back to the West coast, I mean, I would love San Francisco, but I can't afford it. And it's, it's getting dirty or, but I think I would go to Seattle. I, I really like Seattle. The only thing I don't like about it is the, as a, uh, David Hyde Pierce put it, it rains nine months out of the year. It really fucking does. That was another thing. There were uh, two Frasier regulars. Oh, yeah. And a couple Frasier guest stars in this movie as well. Yep. Wait, who is the other regular? Uh, You remember when we were talking about how they were pitching stories? One of the male reporters played Kenny, the uh, the stadium manager. Oh, that's right. Station manager for a few years. I knew I recognized him from somewhere. Yeah. Yep. And then Rita Wilson would uh, always be a voice of one of the callers each season. Oh, really? And uh, yeah. And then, of course, David Hyde Pierce played Niles. And he also was doing the like psychoanalysis of romance. Yeah, with uh, Annie's character or Annie, um, which I thought was hilarious because this was right before Fraser, right? Yeah, yeah. 
And just like, of course, and he came out of nowhere. He was in one scene and he was out and he didn't really talk in it. Yeah. Well, there were some crossovers with League of Their Own, for that matter, with Tom Hanks and Rosie O'Donnell and Bill Pullman. Oh, yeah. Bill Pullman was. Yeah. Was. uh, What's her name's husband? Yeah. Um, we should do that movie. That's a that's a rom com. It's <laughs> a great fucking movie. God, I love that movie. <laughs> uh, well, all right, I poured well, myself well. another another glass of tequila. Yeah. I'm debating. I have, I have whiskey, but it's ten thirty in the morning. It's quarantine time. Yeah, but whiskey, whiskey in the morning, like that's quarantine. I can't time even do that no on St. Patty's. No rules, and also I've done shots of JMO at eight in the morning. <sighs> so you're saying I should get a glass? I'm saying it's quarantine time, and how are you going to deal with quarantine sober? It. This is a need- once in a. This is a once-in-a-lifetime situation where you can throw rules out the window. I'm going to need a quarantini, is what you're saying. You're going to need a quarantini. <sighs> All right, I'm going to go get one. Yes! All right. Woo! Should we play the elevator go. music or just keep it hot? Uh, we'll go ahead and take a quick break while he gets a glass. We'll be right back with you. All right. And we're back. Thank you very much for chilling with in the break room there that we put you in. <laughs> in the break room. The, the quarantine. The, the quarantine within the quarantine. <laughs> so as far as the review of this movie, I'll go first. I hated the distance. <laughs> I hated it so much. This whole separate stories, separate areas that you're going scene to scene in that are some like, like the whole romance happening away from each other is just too odd to me. It just doesn't quite work for me. I, I, I guess I'm not a huge fan of romances or romantic comedies or romantic dramas where everything is based on letters and communication as opposed to. (laughs) So you you don't like romance with communication? No, like, (laughs) but like everything's based solely upon like letters and, and like some sort of verbal communication as opposed to actually being around each other. Yeah. As the whole pretense to the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, imagine if you had like some sort of, you know, long, long, long distance, but like some sort of like relationship online with someone right now. Mm-hmm. And then right when the quarantine was about to happen, you guys decide, Hey, how about we, we've been talking online for like six months. Let's spend the quarantine together. And then you guys are like in the same area, the quarantine. And it's like, yeah, you've been talking to each other for six months and you really like each other online, but now you're in the quarantine stuck together. It's probably not going to, work out you probably should have met each other beforehand yeah that's true it's just like i i just it's hard for me to just buy that it's just hard for me to buy it and that was that was the whole thing and then also tom hanks 
was kind of mean to his son. <laughs> but at the same time, his son kind of deserved it. <laughs> like, I just, it was really weird. I was just like, the whole time, I'm just like, man, be nicer to your son, but how the fuck are you going to fly to New York as an eight year old? Like, what yeah. the fuck are you doing? There were definitely some gaps in believability in the movie. That's definitely oh. for sure. There were so yes. many, so many things that yes. were not really worked out or believable, or it was. I can definitely reading some of those tidbits of saying the the premise was ridiculous. I could see mm-hmm. that. Like mm-hmm. the story itself, I agree. Could use some work. And I'm I just definitely agree. For someone who like co-wrote and co-made the top level pantheon rom com and when Harry met Sally with Rob Reiner and. Mm-hmm. The reason that was so top level is because it was so rooted in honesty and realistic expectations to then have this pie in the sky, you know, love conquers all, including distance ephemeral. Right. Where like an affair to remember, which is a movie I think is highly overrated and I did not enjoy when I watched it. I've never seen it. You're not missing anything. Um, <laughs> like, mostly because, like, the movie was good. Like, I, I just, I don't like the conceit of, you know, he he waits for her at the top of the Empire State Building and she gets run over by a car while crossing the street trying to get to the Empire State Building. And so this whole second half of the movie is just like this miscommunication where they just can't communicate with each other because it's the fifties. So like he's too embarrassed thinking that she denied him. Oh, I I remember the summary of the movie from this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I I know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause Rita Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and like, yeah. And it's funny cause I was just thinking to myself, well, I have a rom-com podcast with my very good buddy. And we're both very sensitive 30-somethings. But if she said the same synopsis to me, I would literally just be like, I don't give a fuck. This sounds dumb. I would have done the exact same thing Tom Hanks and uh, what's his name? I know. We're talking about like another movie and act like that was. (laughs) Apparently that scene was completely improvised too, which is totally, yeah, totally believable. Yeah. And so, (laughs) I, but I mean. You know what? I'll go ahead and talk about it now, even though. But then there's the ending scene where they actually meet each other on the Empire State Building. Mm -hmm. And then before that, it's Tom Hanks getting his son, hugging him and just being like, I'm not messing it up, am I? Like the way he says that with like such pleading. It was just like it was almost a redemption there because it was just like so real how this single father is talking to his eight-year-old like i'm not fucking this up am i like help me yeah yeah and like like, the way he says that is so pleading and so well done and that's just because it's fucking tom hanks and also ross malinger was a really good casting job here like as an eight-year-old in the movie was yeah can we can we take a second to talk about how fucking good the kid was yeah, he had to be good. Like, God damn. This kid owned the movie. Yes. He was very good. 
I mean, I wanted to slap him several times, but <laughs> at the same time, like, I, I love the hell out of him. I wanted a Seattle Mariners backpack. Oh, yeah. I want that Mariners backpack so bad. Well, there was a, there was a lot in this movie that was, that was uh, relatable for both of us. The Brooks but, Robinson thing, which was funny. The Brooks Robinson thing. I mean, like, the, the fact, fact that, that he's it, an architect of Chicago. Yes, okay. I was going to take a brief, brief moment to reflect on why I love this movie because <laughs> Tom Hanks' character is uh, like an extension of me. Okay, like, well, architect, like in, architect in Chicago. Are you fucking kidding me? Goes to baseball games, loves baseball, is looking for a girl who knows baseball. Like that's it. My, that's all I need. Here's my, here's my question: That scene where he's in the architecture office in Chicago. That looked real. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to figure that out too. That was not a set. Like that looked no, real. That's I. I believe that's a real office. Yeah, he was legit at like yeah, and so okay. Yeah, but but yeah, like a Chicago architect. I'm. I was just thinking to myself like, this is the Max Lyon story. Except, <laughs> God, I hope it doesn't have him fucking him being a widower. Yeah that that would be nice to skip that part. Yeah. Um, like, that'd be really nice. Let's not do that part. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hope this isn't my future. Fuck. <laughs> nah. Um but, but even like the move to Seattle, like if I had gone through something like that, that's exactly what I would do. I'd probably go back to my roots and be like, I'm gonna go back to my roots, but do something unique, not just run back to Oregon. Yeah. But you know, I need some peace of mind, so I'm going to go back to Pacific Northwest. So, I think what I'm going to go to that? Seattle. Did you say peas of mind? Peace of mind. <laughs> I know. Peas of mind. <laughs> it sounded like you said peas of mind. Sorry. That's the whiskey. That's the whiskey talking. <laughs> I just, I like the idea of just like, <laughs> just having green peas. <laughs> just like, here are my thoughts. There are many. <laughs> 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 okay. Oh, the second glass of tequila is hitting. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not even ten. It's barely after ten thirty in the morning. Let's go. Oh Sunday my god. Party. Is it St. Patrick's Day again? Uh, it. You know what? We're making it St. Patrick's <laughs> yeah, Day. This is St. Patrick's Day. I missed St. Patty's yeah. because of I was sick with a cold, not COVID, just a cold, but. I was we, we should have been out. we should have been quarantined at that point. They were suggesting isolation. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys were social distanced enough. No, we weren't. Like from other people, not necessarily from each other. We went out to the bars. I know, but from the Snapchats and everything you sent, you guys looked like you were social distanced from other groups. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, like we, yeah. For the time, we we kind of tried. Yeah. It's not like yeah. we went to the most packed place we could find. Like, and it's not like you fucking went to, like, every bar and bar hopped until, like, 2 in the morning. You guys just went to one bar, hung out for a couple hours, got some food, and went home. God, this... Th that... That was one of the last times I got to see her, by the way. That was... Oh, my God. This quarantine is killing me. Especially watching these rom-coms and not being able to talk to the girl I'm dating. Yeah. Oh, by the way, DMs are closed for Max. <laughs> yeah, I guess we, we should put that out there. That <laughs> <laughs> we just we got into you know, not recording talk. 
It's okay. <laughs> That's what they tune in for. It's, it's, cool. The, it's cool. The friendly banter is what's what yeah. really makes the show. So, yeah. You know. Fuck yeah. yeah. The friendly banter's been missing. It has. Uh, it has. Well, it has. Yeah, we've been we've been out of our funk with this whole fucking quarantine. So yeah, I mean, well, last week's episode was more because I had so much to say about a movie I've seen fifty some odd times. Yeah. And then the one before it was I had so much to say about a movie I'd seen multiple times and had aged poorly. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this one. I mean, I, I still got more to say about the ending scene, but there's not really much else for me, <laughs> like besides the ending scene. Well, before we get into the ending scene, um, mm-hmm. I, I will say I, I want to go into some things that I I thought about it. So, yeah, I agree with the whole the whole premise and the storyline was weird. It could use some work. Yes. It yes. it seemed it, it seemed fairy ish Yes. But also clunky. Like it was it was, was not well worked out. Like Roger Ebert a lot of times I I don't agree with him, but sometimes he does write some lines that are absolutely spot on. So I want to read what he said about it. Okay. Which I agree with mostly. Um, he said, as ephemeral as a talk show, as contrived as the late show, and yet so warm and gentle, I smiled the whole way through. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to launch into, actually, was that the storyline and the premise was I mean it's it's the movie it's a huge part of the movie and for it to be lacking I felt like at the end of it I was like I was viewing this movie on the same caliber the same plane as when Harry met Sally even though it came out you know four years later five years later you six see years name Nora Ephron you see Rob Reiner's like a guest star or yeah yeah actor you think when Harry met Sally of course right and um. And to be honest, like I, I personally liked this movie, but not because of the premise. The premise was lacking. Yes. Um, but for some reason, throughout the whole thing, I was smiling and enjoying it, and just kind of like once I had kind of discounted the the believability of the the plot to begin with, then like everything else was really I personally loved. Like I. And I would I would throw this into the well I'll get, I'll get to that I'll get to that, but I loved the characters. I thought the characters were very believable, down to earth, relatable. Um, I love Tom Hanks, so like his character was great. He played a great dad. I know you said he treated the kid mean, but the kid fucking deserved it. And the kid like. <laughs> The kid also gave him shit back too. Like it was a, it was a give and take. Yeah. It was a good relation. It was very believable and it was very real world. It wasn't like Hollywood was father and son. It was one of those things where like, it's totally what, obviously being an architect means he's educated and means that there's, there's obviously an intelligence factor there. He's a very intelligent human being. The way he parented his son solo was how I would expect a you know a intelligent, mentally elevated male to try to like 
parent his son, which is that he treated his son older than his age. Yeah. Like, why don't you get this? Exactly. He treated really he treated like, him almost like an equal that he was taking care of or protecting. Yeah. And it's just like when you think of like eight year olds. That was something I kept reminding myself while watching this. Like, I can't have kids. I can't have kids. Kids are going to fucking do this. Kids are going to fly to New York. I can't have kids. But then then when (laughs) Tom Hanks gets in the Empire State Building, I thought to myself, well, kids are going to do dumb shit like this. Like, that's just, kids have to, like, they they have have to to learn. It's, uh, it's like in How I Met Your Mother from season one when, uh, Ted orders lasagna and then he and then Lily just looks at the plate and then he goes fine go ahead Lily and she touches the plate and goes oh hot damn it's a hot plate (laughs) kids have to touch the plate they have to touch things to find out it's hot yep and it's just like you know he had to he had to go through that heartbreak there because that was his way of dealing with his mother's right right and it's it just like, and at the same time, as a parent, you're supposed to take that in and be loving and respond properly. Mm-hmm. But me, as a non-parent, 32-year-old single who still is like, who, who's very impatient with ignorance, just thought to myself, <laughs> the fuck you think was going to happen, dog? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it would, I think it would be different if it was your own kid. If If I saw a random kid doing that. You know, I'd I'd probably react the same way, but if if it's my kid or if it's a kid that you know, like a kid of a close friend or something that I know and I care about as well, like you act a little bit differently because it's it's you feel a little closer to them, I guess. And when it's your own kid, I would assume you know parents out there can feel free to chime in, but yeah, uh, Um, I would assume that when it's your, when it's your own flesh and blood, there's some sort of, uh, uh, kind of unspoken bond that you can't really, you know, put into tangible terms and you just kind of, you act a little bit differently than you would if it was someone else's kid. Uh, like, like that whole scene where he, he does show up at the Empire State Building and finds him and hugs him. And like, it was not a Hollywood moment where like he hugs him. They're back together. Now let's go find the girl. It was like, it was a drawn out moment where he is terrified that he was about to lose the kid. And, and at that point, the kid's terrified because he did not find Annie. Right. And sitting alone with nowhere to stay. <laughs> You're yeah. sitting on the fucking Empire State Building. That's why eight-year-olds don't Your make dad, decisions. Yeah. And as far as he knows, his dad does not know he's in New York. Yeah. But I will say it this: I, I love. Happens to get involved with girls who use acronyms. I will say I loved the redeeming part of the movie for me was was were the characters. Every character was very believable, very real world. I I think that kind of goes with rom coms of that time too. Like even when when Harry met Sally, which was what eighty seven eighty nine. 1989, I think. Uh, 1989, yeah. Yeah. So a little bit earlier, but still like that. I mean, I'm kind of looping them all into the same time. That time, like the characters seemed a lot more real and relatable and believable. 
And that's not to downplay the character's believability in modern rom-coms or even the nostalgic rom-coms that I love of the, of the early 2000s. It just, like, those seem more like movies. And I guess the plot of this seemed like a fucking movie. It was very unbelievable. But what was redeemable and believable were the characters. And I loved that. I agree with that. I wanted more Rob Reiner and Tom Hanks. I did too. I also wanted more Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Like, of course. The other thing that bothered me about it, about the story itself, was that the most relatable, beautiful relationship in the movie was Tom Hanks and his son. It was not Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. And they didn't even have a kiss, did they? There was no kiss. Yeah, like to bring that up for a rom com. I like. I love the movie and I love this. I love the, the dialogue, the characters. I love a lot of stuff about it, but for a rom-com, the actual relationship was strange and hard to wrap my head around. I get that it was the whole lead up to the relationship and it's not about dating. It's not about, it's not your typical cliche meet, meet cute or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, I acknowledge that they were trying to do something different, but I struggled with that personally a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I, like I said, I did, I fucking loved the Chicago connection, the architect, the baseball, <laughs> the Seattle connection, like all of that. I was like, yep, yep, yep. And then, and then Meg Ryan writes in and is like, Brooks Robinson is the best third baseman in all of baseball. Let's get that right out of the way. And I'm like, like immediately I'm in love with her. Like that's okay. I'm sold. Of course she said that she's from Baltimore, but a girl standing up for her favorite. Like if a girl has a favorite baseball player of all time, like that's already leagues above, you know what I'm expecting. And then if she's willing to put her foot down and stand by that, no matter what my team choice is, for some reason, that is so much more attractive. I don't know why, but <laughs> I love it. Who uh, Who is the greatest third baseman of all time? Ooh. That's a good question. I don't know. Hmm. I'll have to think on that one. I would, I would say Brooks Robinson is up there, but... Quite frankly, I think the answer is clear. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Oh, for fuck's sake. Ladito! (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) that was an inside baseball joke for us and for us only. We appreciate you sitting around and listening to that. Uh, Oh, they're getting into. As we talked about, there's no kiss. Um, But I... Yeah, but let's I, let's I, go I, new it. So there's no kiss. So what the hell do we no review? Kiss. Here's the thing: the handhold. Um, going back into <laughs> going back to what I was saying, like I just I I was watching this movie. Like, what is this? Like, there's two different stories happening. There's this lame ass relationship between two people who like are just lame. <laughs> like Bill Pullman and Meg Ryan together were just lame as fuck. The yeah, that is that is they painted the picture of a typical relationship, adult relationship perfectly. Like that so many relationships are like that where there's there's 
like you're in love because it's there. It's convenient. And you guys have a lot in common and it's, it makes sense. It's logical, but there's no chemistry. There's no real, like, you know, the connection. Only the, only, the only cool thing that Bill Pullman did was how he accepted being broken up with. Mm-hmm. And how he said, which I thought was another I, thing that was very unbelievable, by the way. Yeah, I deserve to be desired as well, which is, yes, that's true. But then at the same time, it, it yeah, exactly. It veered to un, like unrealistic. It veered to him basically giving her the okay to run off and meet some guy she's never met and choose that guy over him. Like, they're engaged. There is no scenario where someone actually says that. I mean, feel free to DM me for that reason and correct me if I'm wrong. Here's here's what Bill Pullman's problem was. He put the pussy on a pedestal. (laughs) 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 That's a joke from the 40-year-old version that is not my actual opinion. So fuck y'all. Um, I'm almost done with my second glass. Anyway, um, no, but he did put her on a pedestal. And so he just, so when he realized like she just did not desire him the way that he desired her, I think it, it kind of, I will give it this, that it allowed him to give in to the thoughts that he already had in his head. Like, I think he was. He, so, he noticed she was distancing was already, herself. Yeah. I think he was. He was so insecure. Like, why is she with me? Like, he kept having those types of thoughts. Like, oh man, why is this girl spending her time with me? She can be with anyone else. She mm. be with me. I'm so lucky, sort of thing. And then when she's like, "I don't desire you," and he's like, "Well, I deserve to be desired," and I kind of thought that that was the case. So, all right, peace. <laughs> like. I think he's going to be one of those that gets mad in two weeks. <laughs> like at the moment. Yeah. Just like, All right. You kind of let me off the hook. At least you were nice about it. And I didn't find out you were cheating on me. That's you know? true. Yeah. 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 I did, I did like that message. I love that message yeah. where he said, I deserve to be desired. That's, that's exactly. very true. I, I think and everyone has been in relationships like that or been dating people. Kind of- that's kind of the whole thing about the movie. There's a lot about it. A lot of like the little internal little things that are good, mm-hmm. but the overall big, ma- the macrocosm of it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, what are we doing? Which I mean, for me anyway, it wasn't that big of a deal. It didn't like make or break the movie. It was something I definitely noticed and it was obvious, but I was able to kind of, you know, blow past it for most of it. And, you know, because a lot of rom coms are unbelievable anyway. So but I think I think Rosie O'Donnell says it best in the movie, where this whole uh, thing is kind of strange. Where like Meg Ryan goes, this whole thing is crazy, it, or this whole thing is crazy, isn't it? And then she goes, you know, the weird thing is, I don't think it is. Yeah, yeah. And that was the whole idea of this: is like, no matter how stupid and implausible <laughs> it seems. It's not that crazy because love. Right. Which, like which I get, I get the message behind it. And yeah. like, I can, since we have talked about it now, I, now that I've gotten it out of my system, we've talked about it. I can, I can move past it and I can say, okay, I accept that. I acknowledge it. Let's move on. Like, but at the same time, there's still some, I would still want, for a rom-com, I want more chemistry. Mm-hmm. And between Meg Ryan's character and Tom Hanks' character, I didn't like 
so here, but here's the thing with all that I've said negatively about this movie, with everything that I've said, like, then there's the scene on the Empire State Building, which is first Tom Hanks and his kid, and Tom Hanks pleading with his kid, like, I'm doing okay, right? Which, in and of itself. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not saying they don't have chemistry. I'm saying I wanted more screen time for it. Oh, yeah, me too. 100%. For, for a rom com, like, this was not that. Like, I wanted more of a, like, blossoming relationship backstory. Yeah. I get that you're telling me the backstory of their relationship, but, like, Maybe meeting on the top of the Empire State Building and finally meeting face to face was halfway through the movie. And then the next half is like, you know, about the the strife of them living on opposite sides of the country and finding ways to still keep the romance alive or something, you know, like something else. That's what I was really craving by the end of it. I mean, everything else I, I could either accept or I loved. But the biggest thing was the relationship between the two of them itself. Well, that's what it needed. I mean, yeah. I mean quite frankly, it like it played as an affair to remember without the initial meeting. Like, yeah, an affair to remember. It sucks because of the second half of the movie, but the first half is pretty solid. Okay, and that's when they're actually hanging out on a sailboat on their way back to. United States from Europe or something like that. Like that's how they meet and that's how they hang out. And that's how they get to find out about each other or whatever. Mm. It's because of this cruise that they're on. There was no cruise between Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Yeah. There wasn't anything. Well, and and they just like, she heard his voice (laughs) and she heard his story and everything. And like he reads her letter and I, I did. I will say this, at least the redeeming part of that was that they did see each other a couple times randomly. Yeah. She went to Seattle. And I thought that was a little stalkerish, but at the same time, like um, super stalkerish. yeah, but at the same time, like I get the, I get the message behind it that you're like giving them a way to meet. And, and how are you going to fly all the way over there and not say more than hello? Because, yeah. Like, like was airfare a different story back then like how did an eight-year-old two eight-year-olds book plane tickets like well the friend who like she i think someone in her family flies and so that's how she got into it oh okay jessica or whatever yeah i think it's her dad because her dad knew about the 730 flight when oh you might be right but yeah i Fucking. All right. Anyway. We're, just, we're just gonna ignore the flight because there's yeah, just a lot. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. One of the goose that said of the trivia on Amazon was that you actually couldn't fly unless you are unless you were 17. You couldn't yeah. fly alone. Yeah, there's if no you way. 17, you would have had to need to have a parent or guardian sign for you, and then you would have had to wear a placard the entire time. And yeah, that was happening. Uh, but nonetheless. Um, because she says it's 12, but she was wrong. Yes. Uh, I thought of that, but, too, when she said it. I'm like, uh-uh, that's not right. But, yeah. Um, as we mentioned, there's no kiss in the movie. So let's do there's the handhold. 
<laughs> Forget, the hand holds a solid C plus. So yeah, it, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we could talk a little bit about like what you were going into their chemistry. Well, I As, mean, I'll 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 jump into that when I get to my verdict. I, I have a whole. Well, then let's get to the verdict. Well, before that, let's get to what happens after ever after. Oh yeah, could you tell me what the fuck happens when they live on opposite sides of the country and they magically meet at the Empire State Building and then then what? Then what? Okay, you guys are holding hands now. Now what? Very simple, easy solution. She moves to Seattle. Get over it. You move to Seattle as a reporter. You get a t- you get a job in Seattle Times. And now all of a sudden you're on the fucking West Coast where there's a bunch of websites coming up. Hey, now you're writing for websites. Hey, now you're doing this. Oh, that's a good point. Fine. I it's mean, that. also, she, flies, she goes to Seattle. That's, no offense to uh, to Orioles and Ravens fans, but let's face it. Seattle's much better than Baltimore. Yeah, she gets to be there for the 2001 season, but now she's dealt with the ineptitude of Seattle. But also Baltimore has been inept as well. So, yeah potato potato um yeah and then also the seahawks eventually too yeah and i feel like the sun uh i I don't know i i have this weird feeling he's still living with his parents i think he grows up into like a romance novelist Nah, (laughs) i I just have a weird feeling he's still like he's one of those like he has degrees but he's still living with his parents i don't know (laughs) (laughs) it's like a doctorate of psychology and yeah but yeah yeah. i mean that was Um, a cool house i'd still live there oh yeah the house itself is fucking cool as shit i wish like what is he doing in his career that i'm not because i wish i could afford that house (laughs) well you're down in seattle that's what it is yeah apparently i'm getting there i'm getting there Let's get to the verdict. I'm gonna let you go first, and then I'll I'll pull up the I'll I'll pull the anchor. Okay. Um, well, I like I'm I'm pretty much mentioned a lot already. Um, once I could get past the the storyline and the the believability issues itself, um, which which were obvious, they were big in an obvious way, but they weren't big in a for me anyway in a bringing down the movie way. Um. Once I got past those, I really liked the movie, actually. I loved all the characters. The dialogue was great. The uh, The script was good. Um, Meg Ryan is fantastic. Tom Hanks is fantastic. The kid was fantastic. Even the supporting characters were fantastic. Um, a lot of subtle like eye rolls, like the facial expressions from the kid and from... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Rita Wilson's character's husband. Um, what's his name? I can never remember his name. The actor. Um, oh, Victor Garber. Yes. Uh, and there was just a lot of like a lot of good stuff about it. And um, and I for what little screen time they did have together, I did love the chemistry between Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Um, and I just. I really enjoyed the the caliber of a rom-com that it was, that it was a different kind of rom-com, like I already kind of touched on. Um, and I would, I would cautiously marry it. 
I wouldn't marry it the same way I would marry when Harry met Sally. Um, but I loved it. I love Sleepless in Seattle. I think it's a great movie. I think it's definitely worth watching multiple times. Um, it deals with a lot of like ex- external life issues too that I think is good. And I think make it worth watching just because of that. And getting, you know, dealing with emotions, dealing with um dealing with what you're looking for in a partner the the whole universal message of of wanting someone that doesn't just make sense or look good on paper but someone that you connect with someone that you that is your other half that you have a real soulful connection with i think that's very rare in this world and i it's something that i i think i brought up a lot of episodes but i think it's I think it's great. I think it's important. And I, I love that message. I, every time I watch a rom-com, that's one of the things that I look for is that, you know, if, if this is going to be a believable relationship or a believable couple, it needs to be more than just make sense on paper or be more than just logical. It needs to like, I need you to prove to me that you guys have a real connection. And because if this is worth making a movie about, then it needs to be that level. <laughs> and, um, I think for what little screen time they did have, it was, it was getting there. Um, and they were definitely showing that they, they didn't have that connection in other relationships in their, in their lives. Um, Tom Hanks character, Sam's, Sam's relationship with, uh, Victoria, for example, or, um, Annie's relationship with, uh, what's, what's Bill Pullman's character's name, Walter. Um, you know, all of those signs point in the direction of like, okay, these, these all make sense. These all, it should work, but it's, it's not, it's not as good as it could be. It might be great, but it's not like there's better. Um, the only slippery slope to that is that, you know, grass is greener kind of mentality. But um, anyway, I digress. Uh, point is, is that, I think it had a lot of good messages, a lot of good chemistry, a lot of good dialogue. Um, so I would marry it for those reasons. But I would also, I, I think I could find some ways to improve it. Okay. Well, I mentioned at the beginning, like, what the fuck was this? <laughs> um, so... It's just like these two separate stories. It's like, okay, so I'm seeing a guy slowly overcome his grief from losing his wife. And I'm seeing a woman slowly overcome the lack of passion in her relationship. And these two separate stories continued to happen within the same hour 45. Within the same bit of film. Separately. Mm-hmm. And that to me does not make a rock gun. And that was tough to get through. It, it really was just like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, I just, I just kept thinking to myself, like, what are we doing here? Like, this is, I get you're trying to do something slightly different, but I don't know what we're doing here. Yeah. And then we get to the Empire State Building. <laughs> and from from goddamn the little kid what's his goddamn name uh jonah 
Jonah. From Jonah tapping on the shoulder of every female on there asking if they're Annie. To when he's sitting there alone. To when Sam shows up, hugs him, and is like pleading with him like, Are, am I doing okay? Like, what's going on here? To when Annie shows up, sees no one, and then sees the backpack. To when she finally sees Sam. The whole Empire State Building is worth the price of admission. Just right there. It solved everything that sucked. From the first hour and 20 some odd minutes. Yep. So this movie is a fuck. Because you have to goddamn get through that shit to see and feel that Empire State Building scene. Yeah. Even I, who did not like a majority of the movie, when I got to the Empire State Building, I swooned. I was just oh, like, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> like they actually are seeing each other for the first time. I was pumped. I was just like, I had that whole rom-com excitement of like, oh my God, they're seeing each other. They actually, they're actually meeting each other. They actually know who each other is. This is more than the time that they saw each other in Seattle. Like this is so like that scene is worth watching, getting through this movie once and only once. So I would fuck this movie. I saw it. I won't see it again, but I do know that that Empire State Building scene. Oh, it's an epic scene. It's it's very good. If you can, like, going back to chemistry, if you can have two people show up after an hour and 30 minutes, probably at that point, of of us not seeing them together, of this hour and 30 minutes of pretext and buildup, and they show up and see each other and say, like, maybe a total of 20 words, Mm-hmm. Like it's basically just looking at each other. Tom Hanks is staring at her the entire time yeah. they're leaving the observation deck. Yeah. Like if you can have that and produce the feelings that that scene produces mm-hmm. in the people that are watching it, that's all you fucking need. Yeah. You don't need mind blowing one liners or dot great dialogue or whatever. If you can have that kind of, Nonverbal chemistry. That is the stuff of real world relationships. And also of good acting. And that's and good acting. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. Uh it's a so it's a Mary from Max, it's a fuck from Renee, and that's sleepless in Seattle. So as we mentioned, Thursday, you've got mail is going to be the next one. We're going to continue with the Meg Ryan Tom Hanks uh theme here there is a third movie they did joe versus the volcano i don't think we're going to do that one um but yeah but uh you've got mail also i believe was directed by nora afron as well oh was so, it yeah so oh, jesus yeah uh, yeah so it's basically <laughs> the unofficial sequel um i mean i think this time we kind of need to like this we're declaring i think we should declare this part one and part two since we are doing in the same week yeah. This is this is kind of a two part episode. Yeah. Um. So, um. So yeah, look forward to that, everyone. Um. To the tens and tens of listeners, uh, you can find our socials uh at on Instagram, bromancing the stone podcast, all full spelled the fuck out. 
but I'm sure if you get some bromancing, you'll find us. Um, also on Twitter, we are Bro the Stone Pod, and that's B R O T H E S T O N E P O D. And then on Twitter, I'm Supermarket Sweep, and that's without the E in Super. So that's S U P R Market Sweep. Uh, and then also on Instagram, I am Relusa88, and that's R-E-L-U-S-A-88. And then Max. On Instagram, you can find me at the Lionhearted, which is T-H-E period L-Y-O-N-H-E-A-R-T-E-D. Indeed. So yes, Thursday, you've got mail. Next Monday, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> Prepare yourselves. We will talk to you very soon. We love y'all. We thank y'all. Have a good rest of the day. Love you guys. Stay safe. Thank you.